Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is Episode 62, Women's Health and Reproductive Justice. My guest, Dr. Ashley Duyaw, is a current second-year OBGYN resident working in the Bronx Borough of New York City. She received her medical training from the Louisiana State University School of Medicine in New Orleans. She is a current board member of the New York Metro Chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. As a student, she served on the Students for a National Health Program National Board. She is an avid advocate for Medicare for All and is particularly dedicated to the inclusion of full-spectrum reproductive health care services in the fight towards a universal and equitable health care system for all. Dr. Ashley Duya, welcome back to Medicare for All Explained. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm so happy to be back. Well, today's topic is women's health with a specific focus on reproductive health. But I'd like to ask a question. What is reproductive justice and how does that relate to women's health? Yeah, so I think when we talk about reproductive justice, we really have to give credit where credit is due. Um, Reproductive justice is a term that was originally defined and coined by Sister Song, um, which is a national activist organization that's dedicated to reproductive justice and advocacy, um, specifically built by and, and for women of color. Um, and I think, I think their definition of it is the best definition that we have. And it, they define reproductive justice as the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. So really, when we think about reproductive justice, it is this all-encompassing umbrella um, of women's health, reproductive health. You know, it, it is it is all-encompassing. It's the right to choice, the right to have an abortion, but not only that, but the right to have a safe and healthy pregnancy, the right to get pregnant if you want to get pregnant, which is not always guaranteed for people, um, and the right to not get pregnant, and the right to have the access to those things to whatever is needed to prevent pregnancy if that's not what you desire at the time. Um, and so it is reproductive justice is, is the framework that we use to guide all of our advocacy, all of our legislation around reproductive health. And um, it, it, it's, a really, it's a really beautiful, all-encompassing term. And in terms of healthcare, what do you think are the most important ways that we're not achieving reproductive justice? Yeah, I I think if you think about each component of reproductive justice, which in my in my brain I think of the right to choice, the right you know to an abortion, um, the right to a safe pregnancy and a healthy pregnancy, the right to get pregnant, and the right to not get pregnant. I mean, those are the four key components of it, and I think we are failing um, our patients in every aspect of that in some way, and a lot of that has to do with access to healthcare. We spend so much time when it comes to reproductive justice talking about 
the right to choice. And I think we do spend so much time on that because that's something that we are constantly on the defense on, talking about the right to bodily autonomy, as Sister Song describes it. Um, that is a fight that goes on across the country, and it's different in every state, and it's a very complex conversation that we could do a whole podcast on. <laughs> Um, but, you know, when it also comes to the right to a safe pregnancy, this is an ongoing conversation. Look at Black maternal mortality. Across the country, Black women are four times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. And that is a, you know, a well-known statistic. And actually in Manhattan, nearby to where I work, it's 12 times more likely. And what goes into that, what goes into that statistic is prenatal care, is care before pregnancy. It is it is not just limited to the actual delivery and pregnancy itself. Um, and when we talk about um, the right to get pregnant, I think this is one that I'm particularly passionate about that is not as often spoken about, but infertility and the right to treatment for infertility and access to IVF, IUI, different methods that um, our patients can use to get pregnant that often, very often, are not covered by standard insurance. And I think this is a, something that we really have to work towards and giving people the right to even be able to get pregnant in the first place. Well, you bring up an interesting point, And I was just reading, and of course, I didn't save the article, but it said, if you are a woman thinking about getting pregnant, you should start getting care before you get pregnant to make sure that they know what problems you may have and to make sure that you have your body has the nutrients for when you do get pregnant. And I don't think people think a lot about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and there are a lot of health issues that we know about before pregnancy that, when, that our patients may have. And there's also a lot of health issues that reveal themselves during pregnancy. Almost half of the births in this country, about 40% of the births in this country are covered by Medicaid. And that's because Medicaid covers pregnancy in this country. But a lot of those women who get access to Medicaid with pregnancy may have had no access to health care prior. So either they're diagnosed with a new condition at the start of their pregnancy that could not be taken care of beforehand because they didn't have the insurance access to be able to obtain proper health care, or sometimes healthy, healthy patients can develop conditions related to pregnancy that they may have been more predisposed to prior to pregnancy, but had no awareness of later reveal themselves in the pregnancy, things like high blood pressure issues related to pregnancy, you know, things like that. Um, and so that preconception visit and being established with an OBGYN or a family medicine provider or someone who can provide prenatal care and provide that primary care component it's so important before a pregnancy because a healthy pregnancy starts long before conception. I think that's a great point and needs to be emphasized that a healthy pregnancy starts well before conception. So you, yeah. are there other important issues that you think need to be addressed in reproductive justice? So yeah, I think I think one of the things that I briefly mentioned but haven't really gone into yet is contraception. You know, we have very good ways at preventing pregnancy, very effective methods that our patients may not have the access to if they don't have 
the proper access to primary care. And when you think about it, the cost of an IUD, the cost of a of an contraceptive implant is far lower when you think of cost benefit analysis of things and, and when it comes to policy discussions on healthcare. The cost of raising a child in this country and the cost of a pregnancy and all that comes with it is so much more than the cost of a long-acting contraceptive implant or IUD or some other form of contraception. That's a very like policy wonky way to think about it, thinking of like cost and benefit. But I mean, the greatest cost is the cost of a pregnancy on a patient who does not desire a pregnancy at that time. And we have very effective ways of preventing it. But the problem is that our patients don't have access to those ways. Well, is another problem that patients may not even know what's available to them, what the choices might be? That's true, too. And I think that is something, that's a conversation that can be had. I think so many of our patients are getting um, information online and on social media, and I don't want to fight against that because I think that's where healthcare is moving. And I think we can work with that as healthcare providers. But I think also, most importantly, is just being able to go to your doctor's office, go go to your primary care doctor's office to discuss options and and to discuss options from a trusted provider. You know, there's all, you have to take everything you get online with a grain of salt, but so often I see my patients bring in a piece of information that they got from online that isn't always accurate. I think the best conversations about contraception and really any healthcare pregnancy can come with those trusted conversations with a provider. Well, some people can't afford to get health care, can't afford what it costs to go to a trusted provider if they even have one. So how do we solve that problem? Yeah, I mean that's that's the big that's the big issue, right? And I personally think that Medicare for all would solve that problem. I don't think that Medicare for all is the end all be all to our the problems that we have in healthcare in this country, but I think it's a huge step in increasing access and and helping to connect our patients who otherwise don't have access to someone, you know, for their primary care and for their OBGYN care. Well, Medicare for all, at least as it's currently proposed, would certainly allow people to get care without having to worry about cost, because as you know, it eliminates it eliminates out-of-pocket expenses such as co-pays and deductibles and coinsurance. But there would still need to be some effort to get health care to areas that are now medical deserts or to, to make people aware that, hey, now you can go to the doctor without having to worry about costs. Assuming that we would implement Medicare for All, do you have any suggestions for solving those problems, especially in the areas that need it? Yeah, I mean, I personally am a very big proponent of mid-level providers and increasing access to providers. I think that the more providers we can get in those underserved areas, the better, the better access to healthcare we can get. And I, you know, I think that is a, a topic that is a little controversial right now. But for me, in terms of can my patients have access to healthcare or can those people who are in medical deserts have access to healthcare? I think it's clear we, we just need more bodies. We need more boots on the ground. We need more people serving those areas. Um, 
that's exactly the point, right? Medicare for all would do so much to improve so many aspects of healthcare in, in our country, but there would still be so many other things that we would have to address. Just like you said, like access to care in medical deserts or as it relates to reproductive justice, kind of how we were mentioning, you know, I think a, a big question that um, people may have as related to the the right to for women to choose the right for abortion as it relates to Medicare for all. Very big question is how does that how does that accounted for? And Medicare for all would account for the payment for those services, but it wouldn't necessarily account for the access. So for everything that Medicare for all would improve, there's a there's always a next step. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't be the perfect solution to the problems we have in our country, but it would be a huge step and a huge benefit. Well, I think like anything, it will depend on execution. So even if we have Medicare for all, it's not going to solve the problem that we have medical deserts immediately. But these are issues which you have to start working on. And, you know, maybe say within five years, we could probably resolve the problem of medical deserts. We would need a plan to, I think we would need a plan to get more family physicians and primary care physicians. But that's going to take time. It's not going to happen immediately, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, another thing that Medicare for All, I think, would help prevent would be hospital closures. These buyouts of of small hospitals that are often in these rural areas that are being bought out by the large corporate hospital systems and then subsequently closed. I mean, that's a huge contributor. That's how you get the medical deserts. You have this beautiful community hospital that was present for so many years. It gets bought out, it gets closed, and then all of a sudden the people in that community don't have access to care. It's like even if you bring in more providers, they don't have a place to provide that care. How are they gonna, you know, how how are they gonna fix that in that way? So Medicare for all would like I said, I, I think it would work at so many levels to improve the access we're able to provide. But just like you said, it would be it would be a long road after that. Yeah, it's not gonna happen immediately. But you touched on something that drives me crazy. When I see these ads that say, oh, if we have Medicare for all, hospitals will close. And I'm like, what do you think is happening now? Um, I don't remember the exact number, but I'm pretty sure like in the last, not exactly 10 years, a few years previous, but in about a decade, we'd have over a hundred hospitals that have closed and many of them are rural hospitals. And I just want to scream, Hey, our current system is closing hospitals. You, I won't repeat what I'm a, would like to say, um, <laughs> what words I would use, like to use, mm-hmm. but yeah, hospitals are closing now and Medicare for all would most likely reverse that trend. And I think that's an important point. Yeah. And I, and I, I think, if we can still provide as as it relates to you know reproductive health and 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 pregnancy, if we could still provide that point of entry to care for our patients in those underserved areas um, that that's the thing I mean the most important thing about prenatal care is getting consistent care and consistently being followed because there are there are things that we do throughout prenatal care we do it twelve weeks at 20 weeks, at 24 weeks, that is 
require these regular appointments. And often I see patients who otherwise didn't have access to care who come in at 25 weeks. And then all of the diagnostic tests and all the screening tests that we should have done before 25 weeks, we just are unable to do at that point. Mm -hmm. And it really limits us being able to provide the best care possible for both the patient and her her future baby. Um, And so you know, the, the more, it's all about access, the more access that we can provide to patients and, and also being able to escalate care, the more access we can provide into primary OB care and giving the ability to be able to escalate that care for high risk care, maternal fetal medicine care in cases where the patients have a bit more complicated medical conditions. I mean, none of that will happen if you don't have the first entry point into care. And that's one of the things that Medicare for all can solve, maybe not immediately, but if we work on it, as I said, in a few years, relatively few years, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. When it comes to reproductive justice, the U.S. has has probably the highest rates of infant mortality and maternal mortality of any industrialized nation. How would Medicare for All help with improving our infant mortality rate and our maternal mortality rate? Yeah, you're right in saying that the United States has the highest rate of maternal mortality um, than any developed country, and and particularly perform a lot worse than than countries with universal health care. And I think this is another one of those issues that is very complex. There are a lot of factors, and Medicare for All would certainly help to improve our rates, I believe, I sincerely believe. Um, there are other things as well, you know, when it comes to systemic racism, like the reasons why black maternal mortality is so strikingly so much higher than than white maternal mortality in this country. Um, and as I've mentioned, a lot of it goes into that care even before pregnancy, identifying conditions that are present before pregnancy, ensuring patients have adequate access to to primary care and to routine screening. I think that, you know, a really a really striking statistic that exists that is I think reveals a lot is that um black affluent women of higher socioeconomic status, of higher educational status, are more likely to die in childbirth than white women of lower socioeconomic status. And I mean, that that just really demonstrates that, I mean, black women who have access to the best medical care possible are still more likely to die. And it's it's appalling and it's, it's embarrassing for our country, for our country that claims, you know, claims to be some of the one of the best countries in the world and um, how we excel in so many other areas. But we are failing our citizens. I think one of the higher profile examples of this is what happened with Serena Williams' pregnancy. I think a lot of people were aware of that. She had a blood clot in her lung. And this is just, this is just part for the course for my daily job, for my work. You know, I, I see this all the time. These kind of complications related to pregnancy, blood clots, high blood pressure, bleeding, hemorrhage after pregnancy, the rates of that are so much higher in black women and women of color than white women. And sometimes for reasons that we don't have a clear explanation for, it's those external drivers of health that go into systemic racism and go into um, 
our health care that um, Medicare for all would help to fix some of those things. But it's also such a larger conversation when it comes to maternal mortality and, and how we can improve our health care outcomes. Well, I've had um, a few guests talk about racism in healthcare, and their consensus is that Medicare for all is a necessary step, but it won't solve the problem. We have to work on attitudes also and other issues. So they view Medicare for all as a start. And from what I've heard and read, I certainly agree with that. Absolutely. It's a, it's a necessary piece to, to the puzzle that we need to solve. Before we end, is there anything that you would like to add? So I think we've talked a lot so far about different areas that Medicare for All would be a big step forward, but we would still have so much more work to do, which I think is very typical when it comes to reproductive health care. There's a lot of work to be done. I think what I want to emphasize is, is the, some of the things that Medicare for All can fix. You know, access to contraception is something I've spoken about, but sometimes these long-acting contraceptive implants can cost two, $300 more out-of-pocket for patients. Every patient has access to a provider that can provide them with contraception without a copay. I mean, that's huge for patients who, who want contraception and want access to it. That's one thing. And the other thing that I've already mentioned as well is infertility treatment. Um, when you look at the patients who have access to infertility treatment, they are often white affluent patients. And it just, it isn't fair. <laughs> it isn't fair that so many of our patients, so many of my patients, I have to say, I can refer you to infertility. They can only cover up to this much. And after that, it's out of pocket. And it's often thousands of dollars. It's just not possible for many of our patients. And every, every state, every area of the country has different amounts that they cover for infertility care, but it's just, it is just truly one of the ways in our medical system that is, is not fair to patients. So much of it isn't fair, right? I mean, that's why we're having this conversation. We're trying to work towards a more equitable healthcare system. And um, I think, I think that's a really great example that Medicare for All could, could make sound and are equitable. Well, sometimes life isn't fair, but we can certainly make it so that getting medical care in this country is fair. And I think that would be a great goal. Ashley, thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about two of my favorite topics. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Remember to tell your family, friends, and colleagues about this podcast. Information about Medicare for All Explained can be found at our website, Medicare for all explained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.